Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Along Came a Writer Talk Show. I hope you're having a great day wherever you are. I'm Linda Kozar, and I'm glad you're listening to our show today, which features in-depth interviews with a variety of people, some of whom are professional authors, like my guest today, and others who tell their stories about interesting, unusual, life-changing, or profound experiences. As many of you know, I have another show in this network, Chat Noir Mystery and Suspense, where I interview mystery and suspense authors and industry professionals exclusively. Today, I have the pleasure of having award-winning author, speaker, and editor, Linda Yezik, on the show. And we're going to, and she is going to let you in on entering an exclusive um, vlog entry, uh, contest entry. And she'll tell us more about that later after we get started. Um, let me read you a little, uh, some bullet points about Linda Yesick. She's an author, a co-author of seven titles and contributor to several collections. She's a two-time Genesis finalist and one-time Carol Award finalist. And if you know the American Christian fiction writers, you know what that means. That's big. She's winner of the 2011 Grace Award for Christian Romance uh, of the 2017 Texas Authors Association Best in Christian Fiction Award, Grand Prize winner of the East Texas Baptist Contest, an honorable mention from Saturday Evening Post Great American Fiction Contest. She's a former content editor for two small publishers and line copy editor for an evening. And we'll explain what all that means as we go. Um, she's also a former editorial assistant for a literary agent and is currently working for Lighthouse Publishing of the Carolinas as a content and general editor for various imprints. Um, she has a new release coming out, Ride to the Altar, which is book three of the Circle Bar Ranch series. I'm going to tell you about some of her books right now. Oh, also an upcoming release, Ice Melts in Spring, in a Southern Season, to be published in November by Lighthouse um, Publishing of the Carolinas, Firefly Southern Fiction Imprint. So the Circle Bar Ranch series, uh, which is rodeo, ranching, and romance, um, Give the Lady a Ride. Final Ride and Ride to the Altar, which released this month, July 2018. Um, she has some collections, A Southern Season, Four Stories from a Front Porch Swing, and Coming Home, a Tiny House Collection, which that intrigues me. Standalone books, uh, Skydiving to Love and The Cat Lady's Secret, which is my personal fave. Nonfiction, Writing and Obedience, Public Speaking for Newbies. Okay. Uh, the lines are open for callers with questions or comments. We're live. Uh, or if you just want to say hello to Linda Yezik. But if you have any sassy, foul, or demeaning language, you better call someone else's show because I will cut you off and mail you a bar of soap. So welcome, Linda Yezik. Uh, 
calling in from the most holy republic of Texas, of which I also am a resident. Welcome to the show. Oh, you're making me giggle with all that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, now I would I'm a transplant here, but I'm doing fine. I'm flourishing here. So and my children are Texans now, so I'm good. There you go. <laughs> so let's talk uh first before we get caught up in, in just uh just, you know, mashing our jaws here. Um tell us about your recent release, Ride to the Altar, and also about the series. Well, the series wasn't supposed to be a series. The first book, Give the Lady a Ride, was supposed to be a standalone. But my husband talked me into turning it into a series, and I did. Even though it's an award-winning series, it's it's not exactly (laughs) – I didn't do it right. For writers out there, my series is a classic example of how not to do – not to do things. That's how a lot of series start, though. You just have no idea what it's going to turn into. <laughs> oh, well, good. So, That's a good thing. Um, so why do you, I mean, so it became a series, and your readers seem to love it. So um, would you do another series? Actually, I have one in mind. It's called Southern Challenge, and I'll be concentrating on horse training instead of bull riding this time around. And this time around, I intend to do it right. With the first series, each book is a different genre. The first one was a romantic comedy. The second one was women's fiction. The third one is women's fiction with a little bit of a mystery thrown in. So it's 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 all over the place, but apparently readers like it. It is an award-winning series. It's got everything. It's um, so, got everything. Tell us the presence of Ride to, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Ride to the Altar, the premise of it. In Ride to the Altar, my two characters have to overcome the past individually before they can face their future together. Um, Talon had been engaged once before, but his fiance was murdered and he was to blame. Now, they found out that he didn't do it, but they never did find out who did. So that comes back to haunt him in this book. And Mm. for Patricia, Patricia and her mother have been on the outs for years, and she just kind of took it in stride until she realized how very deep her anger ran. So I have each supporting and, and presenting to the other you know, just love, support, prayer throughout as they tackle their past problems so they can face their future together. Okay, that's awesome. That sounds good. Um, And so uh, when you first started this series, you just had no idea. You thought you were doing a standalone book. Right. And I got lucky because I left just enough unanswered. Um, Talon's first fiance was mentioned in that first book and I just left it as a cold case and I had readers wanting to know what happened and Mm -hmm. then I had readers wanting to know well what happened to the couple in the first book they had only known each other you know less than a month so I couldn't end it with a happily ever after so I was having readers write me you know well what happened what happened well it's a romance you know they got married (laughs) But they wanted to actually see it. So you get to see the whole thing from 
Meeting to Wedding through these three books. So would you say that you write more character-driven novels? I would say that I write novels. I can't. (laughs) I get started (laughs) sometimes with a character or with an idea or with a scene or with... I really can't answer that. I have no clue. I sit and I write and I leave it at that. (laughs) Because I notice with myself that I feel like my characters still have more to say. I know that sounds cray cray, but <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not does. done talking in my head. My so, characters yeah. come very, very much alive, and they're still telling me there's another book. And I'm saying, no, 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 we're finished. <laughs> we're done hearing from you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. So, um, so let's talk about how you got started in the writing business. And um, and what you found most daunting or challenging about it, you know, how long it took you and all that. Well, there's nothing dramatic about the reason I started writing. Um, when Billy and I moved to East Texas, my dad had cancer. Then my mom became a new widow, and then I became sick. So I was several years without working, and when I wanted to go back and get a job. I had several interviews, and I told my husband, I was all excited, I have interviews. I told him, I told my mom, and both of them started, you know, telling me that they do not want me to go back to work. Um, There's only so many times a girl can clean a house, so that's why I took up writing instead. I just, I fell into it basically for something to do, and I sent out my first book. It was... um, Shattered Crystal, my very first mystery, and I was—I did the typical newbie thing. I wrote the end, found a publisher, and sent it, and got rejected <laughs> before I could blink. <laughs> yeah, after that's what that, usually happens. <laughs> yeah, after that, I started studying, and that's—it took me oh ten years all total from my first fiasco that's rotting in a drawer to uh, the publication of Give the Lady a Ride. It was 10 years. And that uh, 10 to 14 years is, they say, the average amount of time it takes a person to get um, traditionally published. Oh, okay, good. I'm average. So you're right right in there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what did you find the most challenging about the whole industry, did it did it kind of scare you or throw you off? Like when you went to conferences and you saw all these writers, and um, did you get starstruck or any of that? Oh, I was terribly starstruck. I stuck my foot so deep in my mouth when I first met James Scott Bell. <laughs> I told him, I I went up, I went straight up to him, like you know, because we had been chatting on Twitter back and forth. You know how he can be. And I went straight up to him and stuck my hand out and told him, you're taller than you you appear on Twitter. And he says he (laughs) hopes everybody is taller than their Twitter pictures. (laughs) That's the most memorable of my gaffes. Are closer than they appear. (laughs) That's kind of one of those kind of remarks. Um, (laughs) That's funny. and, uh, I mean, sometimes you get published the first time, but then there's a stretch in between getting published again, or you think, oh, maybe I'm a one-time wonder. 
So um, what was your experience like with that? Well, with that, uh, Give the Lady a Ride came out in 2011, and right after I had turned that one in for publication, I started asking the Lord, what do I do now? And he said, and I swear, I heard him as if he was standing right beside me. He said, write a story about a cat lady. And that's where the cat lady secret came in. Because so remember, I thought Give the Lady a Ride was going to be a standalone. So about <laughs> the same time that my first publisher decided not to carry a Christian line anymore, uh, she released me. So I put my book out by myself, Give the Lady a Ride, by myself out at the same time that Pelican was putting out The Cat Lady Secret. So that year I had two released, and the following year I think I had, oh, another one released. So I averaged kind of about one a year, something like that. Yeah, um, not, I mean, and some writers are extremely prolific, but I don't count myself among those either. It takes me longer. I don't know whether I'm slower or I'm, I'm just, you know, I fin- I, I'm too picky over words. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> some of but, mine yeah. have been, some of mine were released. It was just a matter of the timing. I think Writing in Obedience came out the same year that Brad and I released the simulacrum. And the thing about the simulacrum is that Brad and I had been working on that for almost as long as I had been working on uh, the Cat Lady Secret and such. So there's a whole lot of years behind that. It just all landed at the same time when it was released. Yeah, I know. Nobody's an overnight hit. It's, they've been working at it for a long time. Now, now that you mentioned the simulacrum, you have to tell people what it is so they're not scratching their heads. <laughs> um. Do you mean the book or what the word means? Well, maybe a little short rundown on both. The word is, the simulacrum is, well, it was Brad's choice of a title. Nobody really knows how to pronounce it, and I don't always know how to explain what it is. <laughs> but it, it's it's like an author's rendition of an object You've, or uh, an artist's rendition. You've seen like uh, modern art is the way an artist perceives the reality and it looks to the rest of us kind of skewed. Yes. That was that was that's what a simulacrum means, but that's the idea that Brad had in mind when he was presenting the story to me. The story itself is kind of a Dan Brown esque story of uh conspiracy thrillers. It's between the creationist and the bad guys you know, the evolutionists. So the creationists win in this book. And for a romance writer like me, it was a hoot to write. I get to do fist fights. I get to do battles on planes and chases on motorcycles and, and knives and guns. And, and oh, my star is really a wide. blast. <laughs> wow. It was a blast to write. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. But, I mean, that's not really the sort of book you've you've written one like that, but that doesn't seem like your go-to, so that must have been well, a challenge. that's the thing. Brad did not, we did not follow up. I can't, I'm not capable of dreaming up this kind of idea. That's the way his brain works. 
he has the greatest ideas, but he can't write. I can write, but I can't come up with the ideas like that. Uh, he dropped out of writing a few years ago, and, and there you go. It, it just, that was it. That I don't even know if you can get that book anymore from anybody other than me. Wow. We, so if people do want it, they just have to contact you on your website. Right. Right. I don't even, I think I still have it up on my website. I'm not sure I'll have to look. Which is a nice time to mention your website, which is um, Linda W. Yezek, Y-E-Z-A-K dot com. You are the sure only one who can say my name right. <laughs> it's easy to me. I don't know why other people struggle with it. Um, but then my last name's Kozar, so I don't know. But <laughs> um, so I've read in your bio that you hold a BA in English and also have a certificate in paralegal studies. Is it important or necessary for someone to have an advanced degree to be a good writer? No, I don't believe it is. Um, what I believe is that once you decide that you want to write, study the craft. There are a, a ton of books out there that help you determine, help you with the craft of writing, with, with characterization and setting development. There really isn't, in my mind, a need for a higher degree. I have my degree in English, and like I said, my very first book, I was so proud of it, and it got rejected so fast it'd make your head spin. <laughs> yeah, so and I feel me, like sometimes people have the degree, but they don't have that raw talent. Do you, would you agree with that? No. No, not really. I think it's the other way around. I think people have raw talent, and mm-hmm. they need to study to develop it better. But as far as the degree is concerned, when I got my English degree, the, the focus was on interpretive reading. So we would read all of the greats, and we would read all of the stories and all of this, and we would learn to interpret and learn to um, develop our minds in that respect, but learning how to write, especially learning how to write novels, I didn't learn that in college. Mm, yeah, and a lot of that's stuff true. that you learn outside um, through, like, like I said, characterization, plot development, all of that, I learned that through the craft books, uh, Writer's Digest series has a great set of craft books. Now, were you part of um, critique groups at all? I belonged for the longest time to ChristianWriters.com. That's where, um, for instance, Becky Miner of Realm Makers, I met her there. I met Peg Thomas, who is now uh, the managing editor of Smitten. I met her there. I met K.M. Wyland through that. One of the premier authors of the how-to books. Mm, that's awesome. And so, but yours is more remote. I mean, some people are in uh, critique groups where they can meet, and others are more like online. And that's fine. I think it's important, don't you, to be a part of something like that? I think it's it vital. You. I yeah. really think it's vital because if the only people looking at your books are are friends and family that are scared to tell you it stinks, um, 
you're not you're not doing yourself any favors. <laughs> now, um, you mentioned that you started writing poems, uh, poetry, and songs and short stories years ago. But then one day you came home and you found out the kitty cats had shredded your dreams. Um, <laughs> did you try to fit the pieces together, or did was it just totally totally ruined? My mother had saved all of my writings from my very first song when I was, I think, seven years old, all the way through, Aww. and I had it all in a paper sack, and I put it in the uh, closet of our new house and did not realize that when the weather changes, that closet door will sling open. And at the time, we had two cats, and both cats were fully clawed, and they just thoroughly enjoyed shredding. I had no idea how long they had been doing that because it was like a utility (laughs) closet. By the time I got in there, it was pretty much confetti. (laughs) Now, you mentioned that they went to bed that night without their friskies. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They were in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. So... Another thing that seems to come natural to writers is writing what we know. Um, you know, when people say, uh, when you tell people you're writing romance books, a lot of times, you know, they think you're raunchy, not ranchy. <laughs> but your books are ranchy and they're Christian. And so what, um, what is not in um, an inspirational or Christian romance book? Christian romance Christian romance writers try to put romance in the perspective of the way God intended. So yes. we have a tendency to want our characters to recognize in each other some form of quality that is respectable and admirable. And we don't rely, now don't get me wrong, attraction is a big thing, but we don't rely on physical attraction to draw our characters together. Um, As anybody would probably understand, sex comes after marriage, but anything else, we have the general, you know, affection, petting, kissing, that kind of thing. But the primary thing is that This kind of activity does not occur until the person has a clear idea of who this other person is, something about the other character that sparks, I don't know, a a God thought in her heart. You know, this, this is a man of integrity or this is a man of courage or whatever it is that she needs. She recognizes that along with the idea that this is a nice-looking man. It's, it's oh, love on a, on a higher plane. It, it, yes, it does make sense. It's, it's love um, the way On a higher plane, just like you said, yes. exactly. Yes. Um, now, we're running out of time, as we always do, so I wanted to talk a little about, um, about editing. How did you get into it? Do you like it? How can someone get in touch with you if they want to hire you? Can you talk uh, right a little now, about that? Lighthouse Publishing keeps me too busy. I've been turning down jobs outside of Lighthouse. but um, That's a good problem to have. <laughs> yes, actually. <laughs> it is. It's, it's steadier than, than hoping somebody will write and ask for my services as an editor. Um, 
but I fell into it because I found out that I kind of have a knack for content editing. Uh, content editing is, well, there's other names for it. Developmental and substantive also are names for it. But it's it's the editing of the craft of the story, not the mechanics like sentence structure and punctuation and everything, but the craft itself like um, characterization development, plot development, character arc, all of that is part of the craft. And I could do that well and intuitively, but once I started studying, like I said, like the Writer's Digest books, um, James Scott Bell books, Donald Moss, when I started studying, I really honed that ability. So I'm more of a content editor than I am a comma mama. That's a whole different kind of edit. I do that too, but I have to, that one takes more work. <laughs> so if you were in film, you'd probably be in charge of the storyboard, keeping track of the story as it goes and making sure that uh, everything's in the right order and that somebody's hair color or eyes didn't change halfway through and, <laughs> and um, that they're not doing something that doesn't make sense. That would be kind of sort of right, but I would also make sure that the dialogue was crisp. I would make sure that the characters weren't doing something that is totally illogical to do. One of the Mm -hmm. stories I was editing, we had two characters close together, and one of the characters, they're in battle, they're in heat, they're angry with each other, and, and it's like, oh, medieval. One of them grabbed his sword and pulled it out and the way I had had it pictured from what the author had written he would have slashed his character in half when the first character pulled the sword so things like that are the things that a content editor also watches for Mm -hmm. things that matter yeah Um, and and a line editor is basically line by line because I know we talked about that earlier a line editor makes sure that your progression of thought is clear. They make sure that your sentence structure is clear and proper. Um, and they are. Line editors are comma mamas. That's where you find the people who really understand punctuation, the people who really understand verb tense, that, that horrible past perfect that <laughs> drives everyone insane. That's... <laughs> That's what you need one of a co- one of these copy editors for because that really is a difficult concept for most authors to grasp. Um, now let's see. Oh, now uh, before we run out of time, tell people how they can enter um, the blog giveaway that um, that we talked about earlier. Okay, that is. I'm excited about this. I have. I believe there's a picture of it, um, a set of my books, a mug, a brace, a gorgeous bracelet, and a, a whole bunch of other things. If the listeners would like a chance to win that one-time winner-take-all prize, they need to go to my blog and find um, my sign-up for my newsletter. So you go to lindawyezik.com and sign up for my newsletter. Now, if you sign up for my newsletter, this giveaway's been going on for eight days now. And if you sign up for my give my giveaway, then I'll go ahead 
and put your name down eight times for the drawing. Ooh, that's a great deal. That increases the odds. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not mathy, but I can tell that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so listeners, make sure you do that as soon as we uh, get off the air. Um, now, I have just enough time to do a funny lightning round about horses, because I know you you know horses. Um, oh. Well, or maybe... Maybe you think you do, but maybe you don't. <laughs> no. Okay, uh, <laughs> true or false, horses have the largest eyes of any land mammal. I believe that. True. You're right. That's true. Oh, yeah. Um, how about this? Horses can vomit. Huh. That is a long neck to upchuck through. But, yeah, I imagine so. No, True. it's false. It's ah, false. Oh they no. can't. Now, how about this one? A horse's, t- a horse's teeth can take up a larger amount of space in their head than their brain. No, I don't believe that. That one's true. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yes. Oh my stars. See, I don't know. My my parents, my dad was raised on a farm in Georgia. My mama's family had a ranch. Even my husband was raised in the country, but me, no, I'm a city girl. Everything I've done had to be researched. Do you have time for a quick story? Uh, we have about 30 seconds. Well, 20 I can seconds. tell it's 30 seconds. Okay. At, one Go point, at one point, I was trying to get onto a horse, and I couldn't raise myself up, so I had one leg on the fence and one leg on the horse, and the horse kept stepping farther and farther away until I was a 50-year-old doing the splits. Well, that's a great way to end our show, Linda, and I hope you'll be back uh, to visit again. Thanks for being here today. I enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you all for listening.